Shalom Aleichem. Welcome to Tune In, the podcast of the Yiddish Book Center. I'm Aaron Lansky, and I'm here today with Krista Whitney, the founding director of the Wexler Oral History Project here at the Yiddish Book Center. Krista, welcome to the podcast. Hi, Aaron. So, uh, 33 years ago, we set out to collect the world's Yiddish books. We've gone on to collect way over a million volumes. And now you're out there again, but this time you're collecting people's stories. So uh, what do the stories tell us that their books didn't? Well, um, the format is really, is, is really what's different. Um, I mean, when you, when you talked about going out there collecting the books, stories was kind of part of it. Um, you know, the, the stories behind the books, um, the lives of the people who, who read Yiddish books and, and the lives of their um, descendants. So that's really what we're, we're going after. And what do you ask? You know, what, what is it that you want to know when someone sits down with you? Well, I mean, for every interview, it's different. It really depends on the, the person that we're interviewing, and we prepare for that person um, uh, specifically. But generally, an interview starts with uh, a little bit about family background, um, where their family came from, any stories from the old country, if applicable, and yeah. then uh, getting a sense of the home they grew up in. Uh, was it a Froom family um, or not? Uh, were they secular uh, Yiddishists or or not Jewish at all? And then how how Yiddish language and culture played a, a role in their life from beginning to end. And how do you get them to go beyond, you know, the canned response? They must come in here with all kind of, you know, well-worn stories, well-rehearsed and stuff. How do you get them past that and, and really get to the good stuff? Um, well, a lot of the people we interview have never been interviewed before, so so that's one thing. But for the natural storytellers, I think it's really about deep listening. That's, that's the basic um, skill that gets people talking, is if you really listen and can... Um, can push, ask an, a follow-up question when something interesting is being discussed, um, or just try to ask a question that they might not have thought of before. That's one of the most um, rewarding moments in an interview is if, if someone says, oh, I've never thought about that before. And that's when the good thing happens, the, yeah. the good moment. Yeah, sometimes, yeah, that's a great, great feeling. So, so most of our listeners know that we recently sent out an appeal to... Uh, develop a major initiative to go out there and record the stories of children and grandchildren of Yiddish writers. Yeah, so, or so, beyond the books. Yeah. Is, yeah. So let, let me just start by asking, so how many are there? I mean, you know, this is, Yiddish literature really had its heyday, you know, in the earlier decades of the, uh, of the 20th century. How many children and grandchildren are still out there? Well, we don't really know. You know, we had a few names going into this. Um, uh, that that sort of set us off in this uh, direction, um, and we had maybe a dozen names. And from from asking around, we got a few more, but we really didn't know. So that's that's part of the reason that we put out we're putting out the word now is to sort of see who comes out of the woodwork. So can you give some examples? Just some, you can use names and be specific. Sure. Yeah. Um, so, well, one one interview that I did in March that was pretty amazing was 
Gabby Weinreich, the um, oh yeah, the brother a... of Oriel Weinreich and the son it, of Max Weinreich. Right. So tell us who they are, and then tell us who he is. Yeah. Okay. So so the Weinreichs are sort of like Yiddish royalty. <laughs> <laughs> um, Max Weinreich uh, was um, part of the team that founded YIVO, the Yiddish Research Center, and uh, in Vilna, and then came in, 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 in 1925. 1925, yeah, so and then yeah. came to New York um, during the war. I'm not going to go into that whole story. but yeah. and, and his son also became a Yiddish linguist, um, and his son, Uriel, I should say. And Gabby became, was sort of the black sheep of the family and became a physicist. Was he younger or older than? He was younger, yeah. And then later in his life, um, in his second marriage, he became an Episcopal priest. Wow, so that's not a uh, usual trajectory for kids of Yiddish writers, I assume. So no, but that's what's so interesting is that you know one 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 story that you could um, assume of transmission is well, you know the the children of a Yiddish writer would be reading their parents' writing and sort of grow up on the lap of of great Yiddish writers, and to some extent that's true. A lot of times. Yiddish writers' homes were sort of salon-like, yeah. but other other people um, didn't grow up with Yiddish. Even Yiddishists and Yiddish writers um, didn't necessarily teach their children Yiddish. Right. Um, I have to say it's not unique to Yiddish either. If you look in Hebrew, for example, you had you know William Chomsky was one of the leading you know early Ye- Hebrew linguist, and his son Noam Chomsky became one of the most strident critics of, uh, of Israel and of Zionism generally. So I don't think it's completely unusual, but in Gabby's case, was it a rejection? Was it a, you know, a conscious rejection of his, of his uh No, um, for him, I mean, they grew up completely secular, and for, for him, his becoming, this was his becoming religious, and for him it didn't really matter what religion. But it was very interesting at the end of the interview, he sort of had this theoretical, um, he switched into English for this part, the rest was in Yiddish, but he had a theoretical uh, qu- uh, quandary about what his parents' reactions would have been had they been living. And what did he say? Well, I think I'll wait, I'll let people watch the interview for that. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Maybe we can post some of that too. That sounds absolutely fascinating. Though. Yeah, really. Yeah. So give us one more example of someone maybe a little less extreme, but, but equally um, interesting. Sure. So I um, was just down in Riverdale, New York, interviewing um, not the descendant, but the brother of uh, of Menka Katz, the last brother of the Yiddish um, poet, uh, Yiddish and English language poet Menka Katz. Right, um, an, an avant-garde uh, Yiddish. Oh yes. Poet, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he got out, he got um, rejected from a couple of uh, publications and groups for some racy stuff, racy content. So. <laughs> Um, but a very prolific and important Yiddish um, poet. And um, his youngest brother, um, I think 17 or 18 years younger, um, is living now in Riverdale. And I went there and just some really sweet stories about Menka's role in the family and how it was really, um, you know, well, one thing, he kept saying was every time Menka showed up, it was a party, you know, any, and, um, you know, they would always make a few l'chaims and, and he really did bring the party, but also just that he was sort of the family, the glue in the family. He, he kept the family together and really kept everyone close. 
um, through his his warm energy and his attention to everyone that he met. I can't wait to listen to all of these. But in the meantime, I'm speaking to you in person for the first time in almost a month. And I understand you've been uh, collecting stories a good deal farther afield as well. Yes, uh, I think he, uh, you're talking <laughs> about um, my recent trip to Poland. Precisely, yes. Yeah. Um, so uh, Agnieszka, one of our oral history fellows, and I went to Poland for two weeks. Um, and, you know, I'd never been to Poland before, and I don't speak Polish, although I did do some some cramming before I went to at least be able to say Dzień Dobry and Dziękuję. Um so I really relied on Agnieszka's uh, network. She's Polish, and she is um, a non-Jewish scholar of Jewish uh, literature and cultural history. So um, she she has an amazing network with, with um, scholars and artists and activists in Poland. And so that really became the basis of our um, fieldwork. So what did you do? You just like went in a van and just drove around or something? How did you do well, this? Well, we got a little rental car, um, and we literally drove all over the country. Um, over a thousand miles were wow. racked up on wow. our little rental Opal. Um, and we uh, we had appointments, um, some of them set up beforehand, other ones we sort of made on the fly with a, a broad range of people. Um, when I go somewhere like that, I really want to get a breath. So yeah. everyone, uh, you know, f- everywhere from Henrik Robach, who is a, um, who's a native from Warsaw, a native Yiddish speaker um, who settled in Wroclaw after the war. Did you speak with him in Yiddish? Yeah. Very cool. Yeah, Great. and Great. he works yeah. now as the, the secretary, even though he's... Um, uh, 90 years old, still the secretary of the um, what used to be the official Jewish culture center during Soviet times. Hmm. And then other people, you know, young artists, one woman, um, Ola, who just and just started singing in Yiddish um, and is really uh, just enamored of the aesthetic value of Yiddish poetry, which I think is is really lovely um and then scholars uh some very very you know the most well-established scholars in poland um writing on all sorts of historical uh and literary topics and to barbara kirschenblatt gimblet who's the um american well canadian uh american polish now she has her polish citizenship um, she is the program director of the core collection at the new Museum of the History of Polish Jews in Warsaw. Right, and a professor at NYU as yeah. well, right? Yeah. yeah. So, I mean, big range. <laughs> and, and, and if you had to characterize, you know, out of everything you saw and all the people with whom you spoke, what stuck with you? You know, what did you learn about Jews in Poland that you didn't know before? Um, well, I, I learned a whole lot of history while I was there. I mean, I... Um, I knew some, but but just the layers and the and the complexities of of migration and uh, migration within the country um, was something that really struck me. But I think also just the many reasons that um, Jews and especially non-Jews are interested in Jewish topics is what uh, what struck me. Um, you know, one thing going there, I sort of expected 
that some of the motivation was going to be guilt-driven. Hmm. You know, there this is the land um, not of the perpetrators, but the land where where the Holocaust really was played out. And so I assumed that that would be something that was involved, but it really wasn't. And I thought that was interesting. Um, it was more curiosity um, about the towns, the buildings, what what was going on in these buildings um, uh, in my grandparents' generation, sometimes stories in the family, um, but really just, in, and some people just enamored of the literature. So, so that I think that was something that was really interesting, the, the range there. Once again, can't wait to listen. And I'm sure many of our uh, listeners feel the same. So my last question is, so how do people... Uh, find all this? I mean, you've created this extraordinary and very fast-growing oral chronicle of, of, you know, modern Jewish life. How can people, uh, you know, take part? How can they listen to it? Yeah, so um, the best access point is through yiddishbookcenter.org forward slash tell your story. That's tell dash. Tell dash your dash story. And from there, you can... um, see our featured clip of the week um, and also click on a link that called explore the collection and from there you can really um, explore specific people that we've interviewed and and highlighted different topics Um, and from there you can also get to our our archive of full-length interviews if you really want to go deeply into this Um, and about half of our over 300 full-length interviews are now posted online. And how long are they? They're um, an hour to two hours. Wow. So we should probably warn people this is a little bit addictive, right? So it, it, it's very easy to get absorbed and to spend tremendous amounts of time uh, listening, but uh, really worthwhile as well. So. And you can also access it through our YouTube channel, I should say. Fantastic. So, Krista, thank you so much for joining us today, and we'll have you back soon to bring us up to date on what's coming up next. I know there's still a lot in the works, right? Sure. Yeah, there's a lot coming up. (laughs) Okay. In the meantime, you've been listening to Tune In, a production of the Yiddish Book Center in Amherst, Massachusetts. To subscribe to this and other podcasts, you can tune into our website. It's www.yiddishbookcenter.org. That's all one word, yiddishbookcenter.org. Our producer is Agnieszka Ilvitska. I'm Aaron Lansky. I'm a stark and gesund. Be well, be healthy, and tune in again soon.